everyone. Welcome to Freedom is the Cure, where we aim to show that whatever the societal ailment, freedom is always the cure. I'm Paul Dragu, the Communications Director for the John Birch Society. Thanks for tuning in. So what do China, North Korea, Russia, and Cuba have in common? Yes, they're totalitarian states, but they also happen to be countries that have only state-controlled policing forces. And that's not a coincidence. Competent tyrants know that a monopoly on force is necessary to keep the cattle in line. In Germany, before Adolf Hitler came to power, individual German states controlled the police forces within their borders. After Hitler became chancellor, however, he and his Nazi henchmen began centralizing control of all German police forces. And once the Third Reich had a monopoly on force, the Nazis' march of terror went relatively unchallenged inside one of the most sophisticated nations in the world. Before inflicting carnage all over Europe, the Nazi machine ended up committing evil atrocities to its own citizens. In the United States, we have local police, relatively free of federal control. The officers and the deputies tend to live in the same communities they police. They tend to have their posts on the community. They often know the people. And their chiefs and sheriffs are either elected or appointed by someone who is elected. Either way, local police are part of the local community made up of citizens who can hold their officers and deputies accountable. With the horrific beating and eventual death of Tyree Nichols in Memphis by what seems to be a group of deranged individuals with badges and guns, talk of policing is once again at the national forefront. And no doubt, the left will exploit this to further one of their longtime goals, and that's seizing police control away from local communities and transferring it to the deeply entrenched and corrupt swamp in Washington. In this episode, we're discussing why local police is necessary to a free society and why nationalization of all police is a staple of tyranny. But before we dive in, please remember to follow our social media and podcast channels and like and share this episode. Like with most truth tellers, Big Tech restricts our message heavily and we could use your help to help spread our message. So I'm joined today by former CEO of the John Birch Society, Art Thompson, and Law Enforcement Charitable Foundation Director Matt Harper. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Thanks for having us. So, Matt, I want to ask you first, as a as a former police officer, what are your what What did you think when you saw some of the footage of those officers or former officers down in Memphis uh, in that incident with Tyree Nichols? Well, first and foremost, you know, thoughts and prayers to the the Nichols family. Uh, I think the first thing. I thought, and, and a lot of officers I've talked to thought was just like a big sigh of, oh, because it's, uh, it's one of these things where um, every day you're working to work with the community, build that trust, build that relationship, and, and really foster and let them know all the good mm -hmm. things that are happening. And then yeah. when this, something like this happens, um, it just it, it paints a negative picture on all law enforcement. Um, yeah. And obviously that's not the case. Uh, not all law enforcement is, um, you know, behaves that way, but that's that's kind of what gets lumped together. So it was just a kind of another one of those, um, okay, we need, to, we need to really focus on, on what we can do to make sure people know that um, law enforcement officers are, um, are trying to do the best out there. And, and um, this doesn't mean, you know, the acts of a few don't, yeah. don't count for everybody. Yeah, we're going to get into that because Jason Riley had a, an op-ed, I believe, yesterday or this morning in the Wall Street Journal where he cited some studies that show that... Um, that that violence and especially uh, police related uh, 
shootings and things like that, they decline tremendously over, over the 50 to 60 years. And so the narrative, of course, that we're hearing is not that. And of course, I'd imagine that law enforcement uh, families, the, the, the community as a whole, every time something like this happens, uh, there is a misperception or, or at least they misconstrue uh, the law enforcement community. Um, Art, you, you probably already know this, but in 1963, here at the John Birch Society, we started the Support Your Local Police and Keep Them Independent uh, campaign. And it's been one of our, I think it's our second longest running one. The first one was Get Us Out, correct? That's correct. And there was a lot going on back in the 60s that seemed similar, including there was a, I believe there was a 1961 committee hearing, a congressional committee hearing that divulged that the communists were using strategies that seemed to be a lot similar to, very similar to what Black Lives Matter uh, started doing uh, during the, the riots in, in 2020s. What is, what do you, I mean, what, over time, what do you think uh, are the similarities and differences of the way that of this attack on law enforcement and the perception of law enforcement in regards to culture? Well, the differences between the two are very, very minimal. Uh, they're, they're so similar that you can probably say they're the same. There are some tweaks here and there. But generally speaking, it's the same because it's the same force behind the anti-police movement. And quite frankly, in a word, what's behind it is communism. Now, to that, a lot of people say, well, you know, that's the old bugaboo and all yeah, that yeah. stuff. But if you study it, including that report, which you just cited, it shows and cites that it was the communists behind the anti-police movement. And they've always been behind it. And, and uh, the defund the police, the BLM, Antifa, all of these outfits today are Marxist organizations, trained Marxists. Right. As Patrice Colors of Black Lives Matter admitted yeah. in front of a camera, they've all admitted that they've been trained. Yeah, and it's it's the same uh, it's the same tactics. I was going to ask you, like, who is the, behind the anti police movement? And you know, I think you're right in the sense that you know it's like all oh, communism, and whatnot. And some would say, well, it's a form of statism. You know, they've they've kind of molded together, or you know, they they bastardize all the the statist uh, organizations and efforts. But it seems to be the same goal, and is that to nationalize police? Yes, it is. And there's actually a false solution involved in this too, by the way, if I can interject that. Because uh, one side, the Marxists, the openly Marxists, say that we need to defund the police or get rid of them, have the federal uh, uh, government come in. Usually hidden within that agenda, though, is that's the first step. The second step is then the United Nations. But on the other side, the people who want law and order, that want more police and all of that, they have a similar program that reaches the same goal only in a shorter, uh, in a longer period of time. In other words, the left wants federalism right now. The right wants to fund the local police departments with equipment, hiring, uh, police reform on a national scale and all that stuff, which leads to federal control in the long run because the federal government will always control what it finances. Mm -hmm. So one's the short way and one's the long way, but both of them are wrong. So the way the John Birch Society uh, advocates is to keep our 
police departments independent, under local control by the city councils. And it can be funded locally. Uh, a lot of things that the city councils d- uh, put in their budget <laughs> are not necessary. Let's <laughs> You've put served it that on way. the city council, right? I've served on my city council. I've mm-hmm. also served as the head of support local police committees. Yeah. And uh, the, the thing is that, that the police want to do a good job. I mean, they are servants of the community, and they feel that way. Yeah. And uh, it must just be heart-wrenching to them to see what's going on in, in the way in the media and mm-hmm. other uh, attacks against them when they're just trying to do a good job. Yeah. Well, I mean, Matt, would you say that there are some who are not? I mean, there's got, obviously, like with everything else, there's some, some bad apples out there. Um, what would we say to those who are like, Clearly, there still is. There's some bad apples. There's corruption. We know that there's, you know, there's, in New York City, I believe, it used to have a massive problem, and, and it's renowned for its, for its corruption, and obviously it can't be the only one. So do we, what do we say to those folks? Because that's going to be exploited too, I imagine. They're like, oh, there's corruption, so we need transparency. We need police review boards and whatnot. Uh, what do we say to folks who, who's, who say, okay, well, what do we do about the corruption and everything that's happening with, within police forces? I, I think the first step is we have to acknowledge it. You know, I mean, it, it is out there, but again, it's that small percentage. And then we need to really focus on what we can do um, to work together to, to bring those things to light and then hold those, pe- those individuals accountable. I think that's the big thing uh, that we're seeing in law enforcement is there's been a lot of accountability that's you know um, that society has wanted, and and we've we've begun with you know everybody having cameras and all those things, and yeah. um, I mean those things all help towards some of that. Uh, but at the end of the day, if the police are the only ones who are being held accountable, and there's no accountability that mm. goes to uh, the the judicial system and to um, you know people being released without bonds and things like that, um, there's just that that accountability stops at law enforcement then. So I yeah. think it's. Uh, again, really just um, working with your your local police departments to uh, identify if there are some issues um, that yeah. could lead to corruption and, and make sure that they're dealt with swiftly. One, one of the things that, that we need to always keep in the back of our mind is the axiom that was coined by Lord Acton, the British uh, nobleman. Absolute power. Power corrupts, uh, you know, power, uh, power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And as if you're going to build a power structure of a federal police, can you imagine what kind of corruption that would be in the long run with no recourse? Well, look what we're seeing just from the FBI and the DOJ. Yes. I mean, they almost went after parents who, who protested at PTA meetings. Yes. But the thing about the local police is, there are 11, at least 11 things that you can do to take care of local corruption or a local bad uh, police department or an individual or something of that nature. You've got the internal affairs. You've got the chief of police. You've got the city attorney. You've got the mayor. You've got the council. Mm -hmm. You've got the county commissioners. You've got the uh, county attorney. You've got the state attorney. You've got the legislature. I mean, all sorts of things that you can take care of these things locally. You don't have to involve the federal government. Do police chiefs and the sheriffs know this? Do they know that there is an attempt to nationalize police? Do they know where it's coming from? 
Again, or is that part of your job? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, again, I don't think it's a blanket answer. I think some are, are more educated than others. And I think, uh, again, as I often say, there's not um, a smoking gun here, right? I mean, in, in its at face value, um, the majority of the citizens do not want to lose their police departments, do not want to see the police defunded. But what's happening is they've taken a different approach to it. Mm -hmm. um, so they're doing things... Uh, the media is doing things and, um, you know, some of these different government entities are doing things that are making it less um, desirable to, to be a police officer and to, you know, t to take on that job. So I think that's what's happening is they're weakening that system. And as with anything, as you weaken that system, um, sometimes people don't catch on until it's too late. So yeah. really, yeah, as a part of what we do is ed educating that um, in the brief and really highlighting some of those things that we're seeing. Um, yeah, you know. Warren. Yes, sir. The thing about what what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, you, you ask the question of, do the police chiefs know that there's this movement to nationalize the police? Mm -hmm. We have to remember that chiefs of police are appointed by the mayor. And as the mayor goes, so does the chief of police. So a lot of these metropolitan cities where you've got very leftist mayors, what do you think the chief of police is like? So the guy at the bottom of the of the rung in the police department is caught mm. between that hierarchy that's yeah. been appointed above him. And so um, we have to understand that the mayors and the city attorneys in some cases are being financed by the likes of Soros. Yeah, yeah. And so they are anti-police. They're actually going in there to be anti-police, and they, they facilitate the growth of crime in their areas with the uh, uh, catch-and-release or the, the no-bail systems and, and things of, uh, of that nature. So what we have to make sure is that we elect people locally that are going to support the police when they're in those offices as mayors and, and on their city council. Yeah, that must be tough, I'd imagine, for a police force not to have the support of of the mayor or and is that look at chicago <laughs> i mean you know places like that i mean it just must be crazy well it's even crazy now that you point it out because it seems like the areas the regions that need a robust high morale police force are the ones who have who don't have that support it seems obviously we know what's happening in chicago it's running rampant it's crazy well, here with, again, with you go back to communism and read in the manifesto that, that Marx said that we need to change society. And that's what they're doing in these metropolitan areas. They're, they're upsetting society completely yeah. by the politics that they have and, and the policies that they have vis-a-vis -vis the police department and, and how they operate. What, what about training? I think, like... I guess we'll use the the center the centerpieces this this incident down in Memphis. Like those those people seem deranged. Like that doesn't seem human what they did. I mean, they went at this guy for like what five minutes, three to five minutes, just you know pummeling him. Is training is an issue? My understanding is also that the parameters or the guidelines, the standards for hiring police officers has gone down, possibly in correlation with the fact that. They've been so demoralized over the last few years that it's hard to get folks on. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. I, I mean, 
I think even more, more so, I think the training is there. There are some standards in place of, uh, you know, training hours that you have to meet and those types of things. But I think you hit it on the head with the, um, with the standards. So, you know, when I, when I started out as a police officer in early 2000s, um, you know, we had Recruit Academy and then we had, um, you know, hours that we had to meet. Um, we had to at least have a, a two-year degree. Um, I mean, background checks were significant. Um, you know, there was people who, who weren't getting hired because their credit scores were, were too low or were lower than they oh, wanted wow, to see. Okay. So um, when I uh, applied... Has that changed? Yes. So when I applied for one of my jobs, there was 280 applicants for uh, one position. Now that same department has probably 70 applicants for five positions. So um, we're seeing that change with, with less people um, wanting to be police officers. But then also the fact, like you said, is that now we're lowering the standards of, mm -hmm. of what we're looking for um, just so that we can get that, lack of a better word, warm body you know, to fill that spot. But what's happening now is you don't have uh, people with the same, with the same um, pride and, and background that are, you know, that are enforcing the laws. And so that's, again, that's where some of this is really going to start to unravel. Yeah. I, I want to read something I found this morning, like I had said. I was reading, uh, and Jason Riley, he cited a few studies, and this paints a reality picture versus what we're here. And he said that there's a 2021 report published by the Manhattan Institute, which I have somewhere here, and I've started reading that as well. But anyway, what it shows is that police killings of black folks declined by 60 to 80% from the late 1960s to early 2000s and have remained at this level ever since. This is a 2021 report, so we don't know if... Uh, a study published in the Journal of Trauma and Acute Surgery in 2018 looked at more than a million service calls to police departments in Arizona, Louisiana, North, and North Carolina. And it found that officers use physical force in the course of arrests less than 1% of the time. And moreover, 98% of the suspects who were arrested using force sustained no or mild injury. And the last, last factoid is in New York City, home of the nation's largest police department, police shootings have declined by about 90% since the, uh, the early 1970s. Now, you watch the media and you listen and you, I mean, look at, look at this, this headline here. The killing of Tyree Nichols is an indictment of the entire political system. So it's, something's not jiving, right? Now, do, are there, do our police officers and our sheriff's deputies, do they believe this? Or do they believe this? Art, you want to go first? <laughs> well, let's back up a second and, and talk about the effect on a policeman who has to kill somebody. It's devastating. They, they are in a state of remorse forever. Of course, that remorse factor and, and everything starts to go down over the years. Mm -hmm. But uh, they're put on desk duty and, and all sorts of things like that. My daughter quit law enforcement because they had to kill somebody. They had no choice. Yeah. They had, the weapon was pointed right at them, and they already had fired she, at one of the police officers and took him down and refused to put that weapon down, so they had to shoot. Yeah, yeah. And, and so things like that have a tremendous psychological effect on them, and—, and uh, so, you know, we, nobody thinks about th that. They, they think about that 
person, the family, mm-hmm. and, and all of that without thinking, well, what's the effect on the policeman himself? Well, what's the effect also of, the fa- of what they, especially these inner city officers, I mean, seeing day in and day out uh, just crime. And I would say, I, you know, I don't know how to put it, like some of the, the worser aspects of society. I mean, these, you know, these folks running around, they're, they're rough, right? They're doing terrible things and they're, they're, pa- they're bad people. I think we can agree. You know, but anyway, back to I guess the same question to you, Matt, is um, which 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 story do police officers believe as far as the law enforcement community, or is it a mixed batch? No, I mean, I think they believe the facts, right? They I mean, know the I, facts. The, the <laughs> law enforcement's really based on the facts and truths, and uh, as Art said, I mean. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks to themselves, I really hope I get to discharge my weapon today or, you know, that I'm going to hurt somebody. I mean, that's just not the mentality that goes There through. are no officers going around like that, I, you know? None that I've come across. So, okay. again, I would never say absolute with yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the point being is is it becomes such a such a big issue. So not mm. just for that officer, right? Uh, let's talk Darren Wilson, mm-hmm. right? So he was, at the end, the investigation said he did his job. He did everything right. And That's ne- a Michael Brown case, right? Yeah. He'll never be a police officer again. He had to. Uh, he was charged. He had to, right by this by Michael Brown. He was like charged that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He um, he basically had to go into hiding. I mean, he's he lives under a, a false name, and his family had to um, you know separate ties with close family members. And I mean, who again? Thinking big picture now, who would want to who would want to put their themselves or their family through that? And so that's the other piece of what we're seeing now is you have a lot of police officers who are doing really good police work, mm-hmm. and you know uh, stop and frisk and getting drugs off the street and guns and things like that. And now there's such a pushback, um, you know, based on uh, race and and um, number of arrests that I think a lot of officers are like, I'm just gonna go do my job. I'm not going to put myself in those situations. And I think that's what's happening. That's why we're seeing crime just skyrocket in a lot of these areas is because um, if they're afraid if they do something that, you know, they're either going to lose their job, they're going to be on suspension, they're going to be uh, in the news, their family's going to be affected. So what do they do? They, they turn around, they pretend they don't see, they're not as aggressive or? I don't think they would pretend they don't see a crime. I don't think they're as aggressively mm. pursuing those things. And that those are some of the first things that, uh, that these groups are going after, you know, now they're going after, well, let's, what, what if we tell the police officers they can't make any traffic stops anymore? What if we tell them they can't stop and frisk anymore? What if, and it's kind of like that, you know, chipping away at that, um, so that those crimes just continue and officers feel more and more like their hands are tied. Another part of that is, uh, let's say that, that they have a a civilian police review board or something of that that nature. Yeah where they know that every action that they perform is going to be reviewed. Mm-hmm. And so they're in a, a situation where it's a split-second decision that they have to make. That split-second may be the part where they say, now am I going to get in trouble if I do this or that? What should yeah. I do or not do? And then they're dead mm-hmm. because they couldn't do what they wanted to do immediately, what they were trained to do, because in the back of their mind they thought, Am I going to get in trouble? Yeah. Now, we, we did a story some time ago. Uh, what issue is this? In TNA, October 31st, 2022. And Bill Jasper had written about those review boards. And apparently we've had them uh, here for a while. But anyway, 
Dr. Adela Dodd, who is uh, uh, cited in uh, Cleon Skousen's book, she talks about him and she says they were a communist idea. And the idea was to somehow get the police out from under the control of elected officials and subject the police to the discipline of a civilian group which the party could infiltrate and control. She was on the National Committee of the Communist Party. Yes, yes, yes. She, yeah. And so is that saying that you get them under these police review boards and then you either infiltrate them or they're already full of activists? Is that the idea? Well, they always appoint the activists. That's the problem. And even if you have one or two people on there that are pro-police, they're overwhelmed by the others. Is that how they've worked? No, always. Have you had any experience? Do you know anything about these police review boards? Um, I've, I mean, we had police and fire commissions uh, in all the departments that I worked at. Uh, again, you know, we're talking smaller town Wisconsin versus uh, yeah. New York, L.A., some of those. So I, I, I definitely, you know, would say there's, there's significant differences. Um, but I, I do think, you know, again, Art was right. It's, it's now those things are coming into officers' heads that the, the back of their minds is, I don't want to end up on the news. I don't want to, you know, and those are going through their mind as they're having to make yeah. some of those uh, life and death decisions. And I think, um, unfortunately, that's where we're, we're seeing some of this hesitation and it's getting, it's getting some police officers hurt. It's getting, you know, uh, their partners injured in, in some cases. So, and again, at the end of the day, there's this review board who may or may not understand what it's like to be in that situation. You know, one of the greatest things I think some of the local departments did was they had some journalists come in and, and you know, put a gun on the side and, and run, run them through some scenarios um, mm -hmm. to see what that is like to make yeah. that kind of decision. Because it's really easy to, to on a Monday morning, sit back and, uh, you know, with your cup of coffee and Armchair say, well, they should, officer, they should have done this, they should have done that yeah. um, until you're in that situation. One of the crazy, and correct me if I'm wrong, is like one of the craziest ideas that I hear is that we need like, we need counselors instead of police officers come in. I, I, it seems like to the scene of a, of, of a crime. Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, you just, did you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> Not particularly. I mean, Isn't that? You know, it's so inane, it's it just beyond discussion. I can't tell if they're serious. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if they put something out there just to test to see how moronic people are. And the thing is, I have talked to some, some rather seemingly intelligent folks, uh, about these and then they're like, and they're serious. They think that, you know, when you have a call, I used to cover courts and cops back in Montana when I was a journalist. And a lot, most of the, the domestic or the, the domestic violence calls, I think almost 98% of them had meth or alcohol involved. Sure. Like these are not gonna be rational people when you get there. No. I mean, does that sound accurate? Um, again, I think there's, I think the, the thought behind it was maybe um, well-meaning but maybe well, a little fantastic yeah I, I think so you know if you look at again if you look at it on paper um, these emergency commitments or dealing with people who um, have mental health issues are just taking up an absorbent amount yeah. of resources and time of the police officers right so the thought was if we have a specialist in this field but mm -hmm. again it goes back to accountability so now you're asking the police officer to be accountable and you're asking this person to be accountable. But when you take them to the hospital and they get turned over to your you know, social service department, they're so overwhelmed that they're not giving them the, the treatment they yeah. need. And so they're out the door two days later. And so did it really help 
on this end, well, you know, maybe it, it kept from having to use deadly force in a bad situation, maybe mm -hmm. in some cases. Um, but again, where is the follow through on, on the rest of it? Everybody's short staffed and, and yeah. that person just gets put back on, on the streets. Well, it, it, uh, well, another part of that is, is this. Criminals don't think like normal people. These remedies are sold to normal people as if they are pretty good. And a normal person says, yeah, that, that'll work. On, you know. <laughs> but they don't work on criminals, on the criminal mind. They just don't work. Well, yeah, but you would think that a normal person, a normal rational person, would be able to observe and say, okay, this is not, this doesn't make any sense. Again, maybe they've never read a, a police report. They've never seen a, a court document. I mean, this stuff is, these are, again, most of these folks, they're not thinking rationally. Most of them are on drugs. I, from, from what I've seen, the region that I've covered out in north central Montana, and I'd imagine that's a reflection of a lot of places around here. And you, like you had mentioned mental health, mental health is huge. I think we can all agree that there's a great I don't know what the percentage is, but there's probably a good chance that more than half of the people in prisons as well as in jails have some sort of mental health uh, deficiencies and problems. And so I think there's some truth to that. Uh, I like to always make sure that we take a nuanced look. And obviously, this problem or seemingly problem is has a lot of uh, moving parts in it. I wanted to talk about... Well, let me say this. Back in the day, before we got into this touchy-feely stuff, Tell us, Art. We, we could handle law and order a lot better than what we do today. Let's put it that way. What do you mean? <laughs> we didn't try and psychoanalyze all this stuff. Yeah. We just, this is the law, you obey it, and yeah. when you don't, you go to jail. It's just that simple. Like, that was your job as a police officer, is it like, are you keeping the peace? Yeah. Are they violating? If not, what do I do? You know, what's the next step? Do I arrest yeah. them, subdue them, whatever? And that's it. We don't sit there and bring the counselor in and have a session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, watch out for that right hook. You know, it's like, okay, now that's, I mean, you're, I, that, but that's, that's a, that's a cultural problem. Everything is psycho. Everything, every touchy feel. You're right. Absolutely. I mean, that's what, that's a good old word. One of the problems that we're dealing with is a general deterioration of morality across the board in the general population. And along with that is responsibility. And as people don't assume the responsibility for their own actions and for their families mm. and et cetera, et cetera, Crime is going to go up. Yeah, it's it's that simple, and and so we have, to, and and that's why it's disturbing to see an attack on religion across the country. Yeah. Uh, religion teaches morality, and mm -hmm. and kids when they grow up in that atmosphere, then they grow up to be better citizens. It's just that simple. Yeah, it is that simple. I absolutely agree. Let's talk about the benefits of having a local police, especially that of protecting local citizens from the usurpations and the violations of power toward those citizens. It's all about the type of service you're going to receive. Yeah. So if you work in a community uh, where that police officer lives or um, numerous police officers live, which I did, and I, I had a um, take home squad car. I mean, I had people come to my door at all hours of the day oh. and, um, you know, <laughs> and again, sound fun. well, <laughs> you again, right? That, yeah. Um, but, on the flip side of it, that was that was trust, right? Yeah. I mean, I had yeah. earned the trust of, of the citizens mm -hmm. that they were comfortable to come to me. So that's what I feel like you get in a in a smaller town, and you can solve some of those um, issues. I think 
quicker than, yeah. uh, you know, even in this case, even uh, if the county comes in, you know, they're stretched. They have one deputy who might be working over, uh, you know, 10 square mile area. And so that deputy might be going from call to call. They can't spend that time to really get to yeah. the root of what the issue was and, and how can we, you know, move on or, you know, how can we remedy that issue? Yeah. And that's really what local departments are providing. You know, they're going to do national night out things. They're going to do mm. community events. They're going to be, um, you know, involved in giving back to the community. Yeah. And uh, and again, in this case, the, the county is still doing that here too. It's just on a different level when you start talking about um, all these smaller areas um, in some of these, you know, cities that um, that have their own police department. Yeah. I, I guess what I wanted to talk, kind of discuss was the, you know, the the... The police forces, especially sheriffs, it seems like, have a duty to, for instance, nullify unconstitutional edicts and things like that. Well, the sheriff is the the uh, the top dog, so to speak, in the county. Is he? Because apparently he's not. They're freaking out. We got this rise of constitutional sheriffs across the country, and, and they're freaking out. Well, they're, they're actually assuming their responsibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, most people don't realize that the sheriff, in some counties, it's the coroner, but those are very, very few. In some counties, the sheriff is the coroner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that could be, but but at any rate... Uh, Does that sound right, Matt? Because I've met a couple of sheriffs. They were also the coroner. I was like, oh, I didn't know you did that. Know, I, or the undersheriff. It's the undersheriff yeah. or the sheriff. They're the yeah, coroner. I've never run into that. But yeah. at any rate, under the under the, our system of government, uh, with with the 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 powers that are supposed to be local, mm -hmm. sheriff is is the man who is the top law enforcement officer, and he can nullify an awful lot. He can tell the federal government uh, to go take a leap yeah. if they come in unconstitutionally to do something, and by that I mean you know the FBI, uh, any number of law enforcement uh, organizations from the federal government have been prevented from doing certain things because of these constitutionally minded sheriffs. Yeah, that movement seems to be growing. Of course, I think we all know Sheriff Mack. He gets he yes. gets a lot of crap from from the media. I met him. Very nice guy, by the way. What's going on is these sheriffs that are growing because they're learning what the law really states, mm. the primary law. The Constitution, yeah. the state constitution, the county charter, that sort of thing. And they know that law instead of all these regulations on regulations on regulations, yeah. which are a lot of them in complete violation of that basic law. Yeah. I want to tell a story and then segue into the last section, in, in, which is what action you guys recommend. So when I was living out before moving to Wisconsin, I was during COVID, when COVID started, I was living out in the county in, in, in Montana, and they had all the craziness with the masks that they had everywhere else. And, you know, you had the masked Nazis, and then you had the health department trying to implement and, and enforce their edicts and whatnot. Uh, but the county sheriff, thanks to citizens a lot, a lot of them who actually, some of them who are birchers or at least supporters, they met with the county sheriff and they said, look, you not only do not have to enforce these edicts, which are not laws, but you're actually required to protect us from those. And that my county sheriff was one of, I believe, 55 or 54 in that state that signed on to a press release saying, basically, we're not the mass police. Furthermore, we have a lot of important like things to do as, as deputies and, and even as the police officers. Like there's actual crime, you know, like we have to, we have to check that out. And so there was no teeth behind, uh, behind those edicts 
And, you know, I walked around, I went to the grocery store without mask and, and one of the bars never closed, even though they got a lot of crap from the local paper and the health department kept, you know, whatever, nothing ever happened to them. And I think part of that was like, there was no force. There was no, no, no teeth because the sheriff already said, it's like, that's not what we're here to do. Is that, uh, is that the power of an informed, uh, of, of informed law enforcement? Absolutely. And, and the thing about trying to force the police or the sheriff or anything else uh, to enforce these edicts, which a lot of people know are simply edicts, not law, Yeah, it creates a gulf between the population and law enforcement. How dare you tell me to do this mm-hmm. when you should know what the law is and I know what the law is. Yeah. And the sheriffs need to step in. The sheriffs and the police yeah. departments, like, they need to step in to make sure. The, our constituency, that's part. It's not just protecting them from someone coming at them with a, with a baton or, you know, kicking them or whatever. It's like, it's, it's bigger than that, right, Matt? Yeah, and I think this was one of those few times in history where it really um, came down to, uh, there was some, I think, a lot of political um, activity that that influenced mm-hmm. some of those sheriffs. I think a lot of them were thinking re-election and and what are some of these citizens thinking yeah. about you know some that we should be enforcing these kind of the other side of it you know yeah. so that and, pressure wouldn't have happened if they weren't local right right if they weren't locally controlled yeah so it you know learning again what the making sure you understand what the constitution says and what your job as a sheriff is and uh, you know understanding that the the other part of that is yes, it's a it's a political position, but that that doesn't come first. You know, the the citizens and the constitution comes mm-hmm. first. All right, let's finish it off with this. What what do we recommend? I, we have JBS recommendations. We have larger recommendations. Art, we'll start with you. Well, to recommend, I recommend uh, that the people organize support your local police committees in their area. Mm-hmm. They can go to uh, John Birch Society uh, website, jbs.org, and find out uh, what materials are available. Uh, they can contact the, the staff of the John Birch Society in their yeah. area and formulate uh, the committees. But once that's the easy part, okay? Well, is it because you were part of an SYOP committee? Two, was it two easy? Of them. <laughs> two very, two very successful committees, I might add, because we had good people who were willing to do some work. Yeah, and not complain, but actually do things. And so, uh, not like us millennials. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that you have to build community support for mm-hmm. what for what's going on you have to educate the community that's mm-hmm. step number 1 and, and and the other is that you have to educate law enforcement themselves yeah. uh, you have to meet with the chief of police and the sheriff and others to make sure that they understand these things uh, the newsletter that that you put out, uh, you know, twice a year is is built around informing law enforcement about the background of an in, in intelligence, but also the background of of what the law is, and so we have to educate both and work with both, and then that includes the police unions, not just the chief of police and that sort of thing, because a lot of times the the police unions are are. Uh, are more square on uh, what the what the needs are uh, in the local departments. So support your local police committees or, or where it's at. Okay. And we have, like you said, the JBS.org, if you go on their action projects, we have a support your local police 
tab there and you yeah, go in right. there we have manuals on how to create ad hoc committees and of course we have informational resources what about you matt what do you got what do you do? I, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, again, I, I use the word accountability a lot, but I think that it, you know, we as citizens have to be accountable too, and we have to say that um, we can't just stand by and let a lot of this, a lot of this go on. We have to get involved. So yeah. get educated, get yourself on a, on a local board, get yourself on a police and fire commission, um, you know, work with uh, legislature to start talking about things we can do um, to make sure that police officers are supported, yeah. uh, that are, you know, make that job um, something that is sought after again, so that we're getting the right kind of people, um, educated, you know, good people that are um, that are out there protecting the citizens. So uh, I think, uh, as Art said, support your local police, um, you know, and really just uh, knowing that, that we need each and every person to, yeah. to get involved and to be educated because the noisy few get the headlines, right? Yeah, they and do, that's, yeah. that's what we the see, squeaky, right? was it? The, the squeaky, squeaky wheel, yep. The squeaky wheel makes the noise. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> Squeaky wheel gets the grease, but that's... Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah there so, you go. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, that's still, what's happening now. Is, <laughs> is, um, still finishing my right? coffee. <laughs> is, is we're seeing that on such a big... You know, this is just... This is what we see now. Yeah. And it doesn't... As you talked about, millions of, of interactions are happening every day with law enforcement where there's there's no issues and, yeah. and you know things are being solved. Uh, an and, overwhelming majority of them. The, mm-hmm. the numbers don't lie. Right. We need law and order in this country, but we also need justice. Without the two, we don't have an orderly yeah. society. Well, and, that, that's and, a good point because some ways they may watch this and they're like, yeah, well, what about justice? It's like we're not against justice. Yeah. We're not. You know, those police officers, if they are as guilty as they look, they should come. They should meet justice. They should come at the crossroads and yeah. they should get the appropriate uh, consequences and repercussions. Yeah, Hitler gave the Germans a lot of law and order. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, so you do need that justice part. Yeah, and, and there's no police officer that I've ever talked to that, that wouldn't agree that, you know, if if some other police officer is committing a crime or, mm. or has done something that's uh, heinous or against the law, it, they need to, it needs to be dealt with and they need to be, yeah, um, yeah. you know, held accountable. Because again, it just weakens the system if if they don't, if you don't believe that. So I, I think that every officer, every, you know, good police officer is the same way. Like, let's get the bad ones out. Yeah, and, yeah, that's you know, majority of them. That seems, yeah. again, that's what the facts bear out. But also people need to realize, and that's kind of the crux of what we're discussing here is, that if we let this, that the police credibility deteriorate and we some, for whatever reason, we, we lose our minds and we say, okay, we'll put them under control of, of activists and, this, and, and the central government, which apparently can't do anything right in the first place. We, we lose the protections and we, cut, we lose liberty, right? I mean, that is, it's no coincidence, like I started out, that all these totalitarian states they have to have a monopoly on force because you can't send the army in if all the police and the county and the sheriffs or whatever are like, no, you're not coming in. We're protecting you. And all of a sudden, you, they're the leaders. They would become the leaders of, of the constituency and say, it's like, no, we're not going to deal with that. A totally different game. Thank you, gentlemen, so much uh, for your time. Thank you for all you do. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. So in this day of fact-free moral panic, it's crucial that we help create understanding about why it's so important to keep our police local and independent. Our liberty depends on it. Please check out our Support Your Local Police Action Campaign at jbs.org for information and action materials right under Action Projects. 
And if you haven't joined the John Birch Society in our epic undertaking to restore America, consider applying for membership. We are looking for good members. Check out the link in the description below. So in the meantime, don't forget that whatever the societal ailment, freedom is always the cure.